On June 26th, a group of county citizens, which allegedly included some of the county's leading residents, discussed the possibility of simply hanging Cocking for his crimes. That was Kate Taylor. Kate doesn't have your typical job with county government. I am the lead tour guide here in Port Tobacco. So my job is to give the tours of the three buildings, Stag Hall, the courthouse, and Birch House. Kate knows Port Tobacco, the history, the stories, and the legends. Port Tobacco, for a long time, was Charles County's county seat. It was one of the kind of original places in Charles County that was, that was here and that was formed. It goes back to the Native Americans, goes all the way up through Reconstruction. And there's a lot of Charles County history in Port Tobacco. A lot of our visitors will come through doing genealogy research because their families came in through Port Tobacco. We have connections to John Wilkes Booth and the Lincoln assassination. We have connections to the revolution. We have connections to Alexander Hamilton. A lot of famous people have connections here to Port Tobacco and some, in fact, even came here. George Washington slept here. Everybody says that, but we know that he actually slept here. So there's a lot of history that can be found here just in this little village. But it's her personal interest that provide visitors a unique perspective on the history in the county. (laughs) I am a 19th century murder researcher. That is what it says on my business card. And so I do study the Lincoln assassination. That is my main focus. That is how I ended up here in Port Tobacco because of the connection. I also study Lizzie Borden and I study Henry Holmes, who was the World's Fair serial killer. Why do I like that so much? Because I'm weird. (laughs) Uh, I have a a great fascination with trying to figure out what made these people tick. They were all upstanding members of society, uh, Lizzie Borden, H.H. Holmes, and John Wilkes Booth, and what causes them to turn and snap. Uh, So trying to to figure that out and see who these people really were outside of kind of comic book villain storyline that sometimes gets written for them is is very interesting. She's also a storyteller. And this is where Kate's interest and job begin to come together. A lot of very macabre stories that people don't really think about when they think about Port Tobacco Historic Village. So that's one of the things that we get to tell people when they visit. In April of 1896, the bloody and mutilated bodies of Fanny Cocking, the mother of three small children, and her sister Daisy were found dead in their beds. In a scene bearing an eerie resemblance to the infamous 1892 Borden murders, both women had been beaten and hacked to death with a hatchet. Fanny's husband, Joseph Cocking, was found in the basement of the house with blood-splattered clothes, but only minor scrapes and bruises. Joseph claimed that two men had broken into the house, assaulted him, and thrown him into the basement. These claimed assailants had not taken the murder weapon, however, as investigators quickly located the bloody hatchet still inside the house. Suspicion immediately fell upon Joseph Cocking. His story did not match his wounds, which were nowhere close to being life-threatening, and did not account for his blood-sloped clothing. Strong circumstantial evidence, combined with the violent and shocking nature of the crime, prompted the sheriff to arrest Cocking, and he was taken to the Baltimore City Jail. Fanny and Daisy were from a prominent local family. Their father was a physician, and their grandfather was a member of the State House of Delegates. Fanny and Joseph also moved in elite circles. 
But soon after the bodies were discovered, community members turned against Joseph Cocking. Former friends and neighbors painted him as a brutal murderer and a stain on their society. The murders received extensive press coverage, reaching newspapers such as the Baltimore Sun and the New York Times. Understanding public fascination with the macabre, reporters fed their readers every graphic, gory detail they could find. The La Preta Crescent declared the crime a despicable deed and pointed the accusatory finger straight at cocking. The horror has been increased by the fact that the circumstances seem to point almost conclusively to the husband and brother-in-law. As more details of his alleged crime emerged, cocking swift punishment became the community's sole mission. In late May, Cocking was returned to Charles County for arraignment. Since the new jail in La Plata was not scheduled to be completed until mid-June, Cocking was sent to the dilapidated Port Tobacco Jail instead. Washington Birch, the elderly African-American jailer, was assigned to watch over him. At the arraignment, the court decided to move the Cocking murder trial to neighboring St. Mary's County, further delaying the proceedings. The Port Tobacco Times warned that the community's patience was reaching its end, and such a decision could incite people to take the law into their own hands. As the community's anger at cocking increased, the Charles County Commissioners authorized the local sheriff to take all necessary precautions to ensure the prisoner's safekeeping until his trial. All necessary precautions apparently did not mean much to the commissioners because they later limited the number of guards the sheriff could post at the jail. Sensing the danger of staying in the crumbling Port Tobacco Jail, both Cocking and his attorney requested that he be moved back to Baltimore until the La Plata Jail could be complete. However, the pleas fell on deaf ears. On June 26th, a group of county citizens, which allegedly included some of the county's leading residents, discussed the possibility of simply hanging Cocking for his crimes. Anger had reached a boiling point, and the gang members agreed to the plan. After making all the necessary arrangements, the group dispersed. They met again shortly before midnight in the woods near the Port Tobacco Jail. Newspaper accounts differ on the size of the mob, but estimates fall between 15 and 30 men. To disguise their identities and show solidarity with the murdered women, many of the mob members chose to wear women's clothing. The Evening Times from Washington, D.C. called the site comical, but said that no levity was indulged in. It was a masquerade of death. As the group approached Birch's home, guard dogs began barking. This awoke Birch, who noticed the mob outside his window. Knowing that he, an old black man, was the sole figure standing between the mob and their target, Birch ran and hid in the closet. However, the mob snapped through the front door and forced Birch at gunpoint to unlock the jail. The men took Cocking from his cell, bluntly stating that they were there to punish him for killing defenseless women. When Cocking asked for time to pray, the mob members replied that he should have been praying since the murders, and started marching toward the bridge over the Port Tobacco Marsh. Birch began running through the town trying to awaken help, which he found in Deputy Sheriff R.T. Barber. However, the law abiders were too late and found Cocking hanging from the Marsh Bridge the jail keys attached to his body. No attempt was ever made to find the lynchers. The Evening Times reported that in the vicinity of where the murder was committed, there is nothing but praise for the lynchers. Aside from Birch, two other men connected to Port Tobacco's history appeared in the saga of the Cocking murder. 
State Attorney Adrian Posey was the man who ordered Cocking's body cut down from the bridge. In 1892, Posey had been accused of setting fire to the Port Tobacco Courthouse. Washington, D.C. Detective James McDevitt had been employed by Cocking to find evidence for his defense. In 1865, McDevitt had been involved in the manhunt for John Wilkes Booth. Birch was indicted on charges of carelessness for giving in to the mob, and the local African-American newspaper, which circulated through Port Tobacco, even commended this decision. However, the charges were eventually dropped. Washington Birch died a few years later in 1901. Some said the cross-dressing mob had done irreversible damage to his health. Beyond the fascination with the macabre, Kate is, if you haven't been able to tell, a performer and an actress. And if you visit Port Tobacco and you happen to be lucky, you might get to see her perform as one of the area's more colorful historic characters. Olivia Floyd. She was a southern spy during the Civil War. She lived up at Rose Hill, uh, right over in Thomas Stone National Park today. And she worked as a Confederate agent. She'd come here to Port Tobacco a lot. This is where a lot of the smugglers were camped out on the river, and they would be running contraband into Virginia. Uh, Her most famous story, she hid a message from Union General Joseph Hooker in an andiron on her fireplace. And as the story goes, as Hooker's men are turning Rose Hill upside down looking for this message, he goes over to the fire to warm his feet, puts his boots up on the andiron where the message is hidden, Uh, never finds it, and she does end up getting it down to Virginia. And then after the war, Olivia does this complete 360, and she becomes a psychic and a medium, and she holds seances in her house, and that's where we get the legend of the blue dog. That pretty much starts with her uh, telling that story. Uh, From her life and just what we know as historians, we piece together uh, her brother's death. Uh, We know that happened due to records kept during the war and his grave records. Uh, We know the story of Joseph Hooker uh, just from different documents and records that have been found. So for special events, I will portray Olivia Floyd. I've portrayed Mary Surratt here. So sometimes you will see me in costume or or as another character. So this is the Olivia Floyd piece. So this is actually Olivia Floyd herself. She's coming to the courthouse because she wants protection from Yankees that are camping out on her farm. Oh, good morning. I'm Miss Anne Olivia Floyd of Rose Hill. You'll have to forgive my unprovoked greeting, but us southern gals don't much stand for unspoken introductions. We ain't cold like those in the north. I hope y'all aren't waiting on the justice. I don't have hours to so freely spend here. My mother is back on our farm up the road. She's too feeble to travel, but I can't leave her alone for long either. The damn Yankees have been camping out in our fields again, which I personally believe they have no right to do. I was consulting one of the old law books I found in our library, and I believe I'm entitled to a protection of property ruling, so here I am. This is my first visit in a long time. It was my younger brother, Robert, who always took care of legal business. But when the rebellion broke out, he went off to fight for our rights. Well, he died last year riding with Jeb Stewart in Virginia. At Kelly's Ford, it was. I miss my brother. But I'm sure he would agree that there are more pressing matters at hand than personal grief. Our nation's very soul hangs in the balance. 
and it is I who have resumed the responsibility of protecting our cause on the home front. I'll tell you a secret, but you have to promise not to reveal it to anyone, even if under interrogation. When the rebellion began, the Union troops more frequently occupied this here village, and I'd entertain them at Rose Hill. I'd have dinners prepared and play music by the fire. I'm quite an accomplished singer, and I play piano. I learned quickly how much Yankees like champagne, too, so I always kept it flowing. Champagne is such a brilliant invention, ain't it? Really keeps the tongue loose. Took the dimwits a great long time to learn I wasn't one of them and was taking their plans to Confederate agents on the Potomac or forwarding messages from northern couriers onto Richmond. Sometimes fellow couriers would retrieve contraband I'd hidden, often in my lightning-struck oak tree, or I'd tie messages into my curls and ride to the ferry myself. That buzzard Edwin Stanton threatened to arrest me once. He said I was engaged in all sorts of disloyal practices, and that I should be sent to the old capital prison as punishment. <laughs> Nothing ever came of that badgering, as if that would be surprising. If there is one practice Mr. Lincoln does not excel in, it's discipline. Currently, the Yankees have been setting up their encampments by my home. I wouldn't mind, much, if they weren't always fiddling with my heifer pens. I got fed up one day, pulled out a pistol, and I said, Leave my livestock and fences alone, you Yankees, or I'll put ten of you in hell in five minutes. Blue monsters never did take me up on that offer. Shame. <laughs> oh, come now, I'm just jesting. They really should have thanked me for saving them from a kick to the teeth. Anyway, that's why I'm here today. I need a longer-lasting solution to my vermin problem. If only they'd come upon the blue dog. That would scare the cowards away faster than the sight of Bobby Lee. <laughs> well, last year, a few nights each week... I would awaken to a strange sound coming from down the road, distressing noises like scraping. One night, in February it was, I took my lantern and went down the front path near the road leading here to Port Tobacco. That was when I saw a large shadow creature run past me, almost as big as a heifer, flashing eyes wide as saucers, a thundering cloud of blue smoke moving across the hillside. No sooner had I returned to the house, three knocks sounded on the door, bringing news that Robert had been killed in battle. I meditated on the experience and learned the tale of the blue dog, a spirit of death. Perhaps one day I shall tell you the story, but right now it seems I'm being called to the justice chamber. Praise the Most High and rid me of this blue infection. Good day, all. Oh, and you're welcome to visit Rose Hill if you wish to experience the stories for yourself. Until then. She's fun. She carried a pistol belt. I love having my, my pistols on me. They don't actually shoot their replicas, but it is fun to wear them. And she's more of a, a tomboy-esque character, so you can curse and put your leg up and do all sorts of fun things. No talk of the history and legends of Port Tobacco is complete without a story of the blue dog. The legend of the blue dog supposedly takes place in the revolutionary period, and then Olivia Floyd is meditating on it in the 19th century, 
a big gap between when the story is supposedly based and when she is having her experiences with it. This once thriving seaport had many waterfront taverns. One evening in February, a stranger came to town and began drinking in one of those establishments. This soldier, Charles Thomas Sims, boasted of his gold and deed to an estate. After a long night of drinking, Sims and his faithful dog, a large blue tick hound, left the tavern and headed out of town, taking Rose Hill Road. Henry Hanos and his accomplices followed Sims up Rose Hill Road and attacked him to steal his money and deed. During that robbery, Sims was killed and so was his dog, which valiantly tried to defend his master. Both fell onto a large rock near the road. Hanos then buried the gold and deed under a holly tree along Rose Hill Road. The next day, townspeople found the peddler and the dog lying on the rock. When Hanos returned to recover the treasure, he was scared away by the ghost of the blue dog and then fell ill before suddenly dying. To this day, the blue dog reportedly continues to watch over his master's treasure. Every February 8th, the blue dog returns to the spot where he and his master died. He howls and mourns for him beside the rock. Port Tobacco had the third largest uh, port on the eastern seaboard when it was at its peak in population, and everything grew up around the commerce. So there were lots of taverns, lots of establishments for eating and drinking and having a good time, and supposedly that is where Sims comes in. He is drinking at one of the taverns and then starts to head off toward Rose Hill. At that point, it wouldn't have been occupied by Olivia Floyd, but supposedly he does die outside what would become her home. Historical storytelling is what Kate does, and she aims to inspire others. It's so important to have historic sites, and we love when we get school tours and children who come out, because a lot of times when you talk to historians, what you'll hear when you ask how they got started, it's, my parents took me to that historic site, or I went to Gettysburg, or I went here, I went there, and to give them a history of the county that's not that little condensed version that you get in school because you have only so much time to get through it, you really learn about where the people of Charles County come from, how they build themselves up. And it's important to still have those stories and to have connections like that to the past. as It's the only way that history is going to go on. The more you can draw people in to entice them with these stories and get them to go out and tell these stories. That's how they keep going on. Keeping those stories going is what they do at Port Tobacco, and their approach is unique. Because we're a smaller institution, uh, we are guided, so you can't just wander through the buildings by yourself, but that also means that you can pretty much get a personalized tours. We have people that come through really want to hear about the ghosts and they want to hear about all the ghost stories and we can spend more time talking about the experiences that we have had or the ghosts or the people that have died here. We have people that want to come through and talk about architecture of the buildings and we can do that. So whatever you're interested in, we can customize a tour to talk about those big points. Come out to Port Tobacco Learn about the Blue Dog, learn about Olivia Floyd and Washington Birch and Barnes and Ridgate over in Stag Hall. A lot of fun events, a lot going on here. We may be small, but we pack a really big punch. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast. Remember, you can find more great podcasts online at charlescountymd.gov slash podcast. Like this episode and head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We can be found under Charles County Government.